Welcome to We Are, You Are, the podcast for robot developers, engineers, and anybody who is interested in robotics. Hosted by the Unlimited Robotics Team. So, hello. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today for another episode of We Are, You Are, the podcast for uh, robotic developers. And today we have a super exciting and interesting guest, uh, Dr. Gonzalo Ferrer. Uh, thank you very much for participating in our podcast today. Well, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> um, our audience, dear audience, let me give you a quick brief about Gonzalo. And um, just a second, I'll share the screen with you so we can obviously meet our guest. And Gonzalo is uh, heading the Mobile Robotic Lab at Skolkovo Institute of Science and Technology, focusing its research on planning, perception, and how to combine both into solution in robotics. Before joining Skoltech, Gonzalo worked for two years as a research fellow at APRI Lab, an intermittent lecturer in the Department of Computer Science and Engineering at the University of Michigan. Gonzalo has collaborated on international research projects and industry research initiatives, such as the U.S. projects on human-robot cooperation in urban areas and the NGV project in alliance with Ford on autonomous driving. Gonzalo, thanks again for joining us today. So the first question for you uh, would be to understand your view about trends in the robotic industry and specifically in the future of man and machine living together. Yes, well, I think trends in industry, in robotics is very broad. I can talk a little about things that we've been doing research, right? So let's say that this is not ready industry products or ready industry research, but I think it's the step beyond, beyond this because now the industry sector is really huge, right? So there's a lot of um, robots already on manufacturing and other devices. So um, for me, it's more on um, autonomous navigation and, and let's say the milestone would be like full autonomy. We are not there yet, but um, I, think, I think, yes, this is a very interesting um, trend to follow, right? So if we find like full autonomy, then uh, there's many topics that uh, we can be, we could be solving. And for now, well, there's many examples of companies already working on that, but with some prototypes and some things working, but still, I think, yes, this is, this is very exciting because both industry and research uh, are kind of together trying to get solutions to this full autonomy challenge, right, on robotics. And, and what would you say would be the most interesting challenge to solve about the autonomy and humans living together? Yes. I think, well, there's many of them, but I think the most fundamental one is um, basically having a very robust uh, perception in robotics. So really now we have like very good sensors. We have been working on cameras for a long time. We have LIDARs, but still um, there's not a clear representation of what is this world, right? In terms of robotic terms, right? So you can navigate very precisely but only if you have expensive sensors. Uh, you, now we, th there's many research and there's even many industry applications already 
taking into account semantics or you know more information about the environment before we only had geometry but this is still open areas right so to really get into a level that uh, robots understand the environment correctly this to me this this, this is a very intense um, yes like challenge on the future so i have a question regarding colors um one of the robots that we're developing his name is gary and gary is having some challenges with the color white why because when we insert gary into a room and the entire room is painted with white walls the room is totally empty gary is having difficulties to understand what is this white color Yes. Now, yes, yes. color is, is an extremely interesting concept, I think, to machines, because we are taught from childhood to differentiate between red flower, blue sky, etc. How would you say, or what do you think would be the future of identifying colors in the spectrum of white and black, and to identify those colors? I think it's a little more complicated than just identifying colors. So colors is a very strong cue, right? It gives yeah. you a lot of information and not just the colors by texture, right? like this form or this shape or combination of colors, whatever it is. But because our vision system as humans is so sophisticated, we are using many cues, not just color, not just texture. There's also going on like uh, geometry. So 3D properties of objects we are observing even. So we mix all of them together in a very efficient way. And that's how we get this information about the world. Now, there's approaches happening on this, right? So the computer vision community has um, obtained like very uh, tremendous uh, results, but still uh, just this simple question of Gary enters the room, sees a black uh, or white wall and then there's a problem because it's not able to distinguish between, I don't know, if this is a wall huge or this is just an object that it's very close to the camera. So this ambiguating about these cases, I think humans are extraordinary at doing this and machines because not because of the sensors, but because of the algorithms behind, they are still lagging a little behind. But there's a lot of research behind that, trust me. There's a lot of labs in the world that are trying to solve this in many companies as well. And thank you for that. You raised a very interesting issue that specifically I'm very interested at, and it is precision. So I currently, as far as we live in this world of robotics, the precision usually comes with pricing. So if you want a very qualitative uh, product that can can manipulate or can calculate the precise measurements in which in the environment the robot lives, it usually comes with a tag price which is very high. But eventually, we want to uh, empower engineers to use cost-effective tools in order to you know to reduce the cost. So how yes. do you see the industry evolve into this uh, into this? Yes. I really like this question. Um, <laughs> this is this is my personal opinion, right? Uh, so there's like two ways of taking this problem into account. There's the technological optimistic that is going to tell you prices will go down as time goes by, okay. right? Which might be true, 
but I don't agree that this is totally true, right? So there's always like a saturation point and, you know, a complex sensor, it's always going to be hard to manufacture, right? So I don't think that prices are going to be like to zero, right? So uh, this is one way of looking at this. And the second one is, as you said, yes, uh, we, we like to do, do more cost-effective solutions. And for this, there's many other sensors that are not that high quality because, I don't know, manufacturing process of, of or whatever, right? Cameras is an example of this, like bad quality cameras are really cheap. IMU sensors the same, but then you have high spectrum IMUs, which cost thousands of dollars. Yes. And yes, you have great precision, but this is not really what you want for um, mass manufacturing. So exactly. in our case, in, in, in our research, we are very interested in this question, like, fine, you can just take the best sensor and say in 20 years, this is gonna be very cheap, just, wait until you see it or uh, now we're interested in working with less um, quality sensors like cheaper versions like mobile phones this is an excellent streaming um, sensor platform other kind of cameras uh, lidars right so we are also seeing like low not low quality but let's say not so expensive or several orders of magnitude less expensive than the first 3d lidars that we've seen and the question, I think it's very interesting because you need to adapt the algorithms. It's not magically going to work. I think you need to adapt uh, your algorithms to less quality and then probably your algorithms has to overcome for these limitations, right? Either being more robust to solutions you calculate with them. For instance, you are taking a map of an environment with not such a good sensor. So you still need to be robust. There's very good solutions at this right now. But uh, if you have a uh, high precision LiDAR, then this problem goes away, disappears. So I think it's both. It's not just, you know, waiting and, and just hoping that prices are gonna be down. I think research is also necessary in this. And the same could be true also for processing power. So you have, now you, we see in some autonomous cars, you see like literally farms of GPUs inside. Okay, yes. Um, that's a way of doing it and saying uh, maybe in the future things will go down. But the um, other research question is what is really the limit here? Is it cost effective? Like in terms of, I don't know, power you are putting and, and calculations is the best thing you can do. So I think both, both yes, are, are like very related and, and it's not just us, right? It's also, also many labs and many other, I think, companies just trying to find like this compromise between the, the two things. So. so this brings me to the follow-up question. Do you think it's the times of machines to do those actions of precision? My question is, do you think maybe a combination of human knowledge and the machine together can overcome those cost-effective precision uh, issues or challenges while combining what we currently have with, let's call them low quality sensor together with human um, uh, conclusions or human knowledge combined together. Do you think it will be better or worse than the current situation? Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, combining human expertise and some automation process that uh, we know that uh, these systems can do very well. I think it's a very good approach, but it's very <laughs> tricky. It's very tricky how to do this combination. It's extremely 
uh, challenging just to find where the human can be a good, um, you know, kind of, um, I mean, you can input uh, human expertise and use it on an effective way, right? So we've seen cases about this, for instance, in autonomous driving, uh, where systems were asked the human just to be in control and then, well, probably it gets a little relaxed and it's not so effective. So yes, I think the theory is clear, but for some tasks, it's not that easy. We also see the same things for very complicated environments, right? So we still see teleoperation in some robots, like, I don't know, rescue, Mars operation, all these things, right? There's process that you can automatize, and this is, this is definitely, there have been great advances, but uh, there's others that probably you cannot afford just to have an autonomous system there totally in charge. So this so, brings me to the follow-up question, Gondalo. Do you think that the calculation, which is currently made on-premise, in the robot, in the LiDAR, maybe through a combination of an algorithm that's running in a very close, physically close CPU, GPU, or whatever, would be improved if the entire calculation will be done, let's say, in <laughs> in the cloud. Yes, or... yes, <laughs> yes. Um, I think this is very task dependent. I would not say that this would be my preferable choice for the following okay. reason. Many systems require short delays. So right. you cannot really do processing in the cloud for some task. Others, yes, you can just take some input, send it somewhere, crash it for some minutes or whatever you need, and then get the optimal best solution. No doubt, this, this could be good. But the problem with most of these systems, most of robotics applications is that there's a component that is happening in real now. time, right? So yes, yes now, now. So the, yes. this, this is something that you cannot really outsource always, right? So if you find a solution, something that allows you to have some delays, I think it's good. There's also this uh, other uh, part of, yes, you can just complement your system and give some sort of, some, some degree of autonomy Right. Well, still you can post-process things outside, right? So let's say that you can uh, still correct uh, things that are happening now, but you can correct, I don't know, for possible mistakes that the algorithm, because it doesn't have enough computational power, uh, could overcome if there's like, I don't know, some expert, some more powerful machine. But this is, this is not really clear. I think this is very task dependent. And honestly, I would prefer things to be autonomous, fully autonomous. But I think this is a very long-term goal, right? Because then the other, this also opens question, right? On how to share this autonomy, decision-making. And so, yes. And well, that's me to the follow-up question, Gonzalo. The yeah. decision-making. You raised a very interesting point. Who should be, in your opinion, the Supreme Court of deciding okay. what is the right decision at the, at the right moment? Should it be the robot itself with an AI? Should it be the developers, the software, the engineers, somebody else, a special court that will decide rules about the behavior of those robots? Oh. <laughs> Tough questions today. Yes. Uh, so who is the ultimate responsible? Yes for actions. Um, 
This is interesting because even you could create an autonomous agent. Does it make it responsible for their actions? Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm not ready to answer this and not many people working in law now have like a clear opinion or let's say unanimous opinion. I can tell you what is the next steps, right? So this is really a concern for the community, but I think roboticists take it a little different way, right? So <laughs> right now, many people might be thinking about this, but I think this is little far-fetched in the future, like who is the ultimate responsible? Because algorithms are some of them very simple, right? So, okay, they might be doing very complex operations, but at the end, well, they could be reported in uh, well, some papers. And uh, so let's say that uh, I think what mostly is concerning now uh, roboticists is how to explain why your algorithm is doing things. So regardless of who is responsible, right? Is it responsible engineer? Uh, programmer, robot, uh, I don't know, but whatever it is, the decisions have to be analyzed later, right? And understood by maybe other people, other users, right? And this is a very important trend in, in AI, right? So this explainable AI, it's not just about making things responsible. Uh, I think we are not there, <laughs> at, least, at least from the academic point of view, from people from robotics. Maybe people from law, they are thinking about this, but uh, I think, yes, for us, what we try to do is just make things as explainable as possible. Try not to make like black boxes of, you know, to just input something and who knows what's going on just to take this decision, right? I think um, the industry and in general markets would not allow this kind of technologies. So you can make some systems works, but then you don't have any guarantees. And this is where things I think are very particular here in, in, in robotics, right? Because maybe, I don't know, if you're just classifying images for some reason, you can afford to have zero, one percent or less of unknown things, unpredictable things uh, on a system that might have potential issues with other living beings. That's not uh, that's not an option. So I think, yes, almost everyone now is thinking, okay, we have all these very complex systems. We can make them better, but at the same time, you need to know you you can you need to interpret what is going on. Yes. Okay, and last question for the audience, uh, probably for people who are interested in robotics, mechanics, and robot developers. So it's basically one question, but I will steal another question from you. So it's two questions. Okay. Um, the first one will be an interesting project or research that you're currently watching, other than yours, obviously. And the second question would be, what would be your one tip for a robot developer trying to optimize his or hers development process? Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, so let, let's answer the first question. Like other projects that I'm looking on, um, all these new companies on last mile delivery, I think are very interesting, right? Uh, so you have uh, examples like uh, Nudo, um, uh, well, maybe I'm forgetting, but, but there's like several companies just with small Mars robots, not huge cars. Mm -hmm. And I'm really looking at this sector like, um, like very, I, th I think they are doing very interesting things because they are bringing like what is the cutting edge technology in perception and planning there 
And are they able to do a product of that? What is really the autonomous degree that they are achieving? Is that just enough just to deliver things or do you need more autonomy? So definitely that's not 100% autonomy, I'm telling you this right <laughs> now. But because of the design, that's, that doesn't really matter. So I, I, I find this, this uh, very interesting kind of project going on now. So you have different examples here. Uh, we have uh, Yandex guys also like with a little robot little robot robot doing um, last mile delivery. So there's many now startups happening on this. So I'm following this very interestingly because yeah, it's definitely. And then um, about the second question, like tips for uh, developers. Yeah. That depends. Okay. I would say that how the field is evolving don't stop looking at papers because the theory has evolved. You can do a lot of things just by putting things together. That's fine. Uh, software tools are very powerful, but I think um, just because the complexity, now the requirements are like much more complex, right? So you have already prototypes working. What, what new are you gonna be adding, right? So I think this requires people to be a little closer also to research because there's still things that need like, I don't know, maybe a little more complex approach or just taking a look at some papers that other people have been doing. And then you adapt this to your needs, right? But just starting, okay, you put things together, you hack the system, use some modules from somewhere. Uh, I think this might have some limitations. So all I'm saying is there's many research out there, papers available for people. Take a look at least for uh, inspiration because yes, they might help. They might be helpful. I think. Gonzalo Ferrer, thank you so much for participating in our podcast in this episode. I enjoyed greatly, and I highly appreciated your time and efforts in this project. Thank you so much. Thank you. So much.